and welcome again to this special quarantined edition of the Steadcast. I hope that everybody is doing well in their isolation. Hopefully you haven't cracked and gone too insane yet. And hopefully if you are going out for runs and if you are going out to keep yourself sane, you're keeping it at a sensible social distance away from everybody. On the topic of being distanced from people, I am distanced from my co-host as always via, I don't know, what, 40 miles? No, not quite that far. 15 miles? Oh, no, nowhere near. I yeah, don't know why I said 40 to... miles. but probably It's probably about 10, to be honest. If it wasn't illegal for me to come inside and record, I'd <laughs> just run to yours. It wouldn't be too bad. There but... we go. But I'm joined, of course, by Kieran Clements via the phone once again. So welcome Hello, everybody. Again, yeah, Kieran. coming. Yeah, coming at you from from bed again. Actually, just oh, sitting sitting slob. on sitting on the bed. Yeah, being a slob. I've spent the vast majority of the day outside. Actually, to be fair, first twenty degrees plus day. It's of, gorgeous, isn't of it? The year. Yeah, oh, it's gorgeous. lovely. Yeah. Yeah, and... I, I had a very thirsty last few miles of my run, though. I decided <laughs> to try out a new loop and got a little bit lost. So okay, instead of the planned easy hour, I ended up doing twelve and a half miles at probably about the hottest point of the day. So that <laughs> yeah. was fun. <laughs> it did get to- it did get toasty today. Um, but oh, it was beautiful. Speaking of other things getting hot and fiery, a good segue there. You like that, don't you? I, I'm sure I do. Let's see where we go with it. <laughs> Speaking of getting hot and spicy, we are going to line up after our last podcast, which was about the best individual performances of all time. We're going to, as promised, follow up with our best races of all time and i just want to start by saying we've mentioned this in previous pods is that just because they're the fastest races it doesn't mean that they're the best races yes exactly so we've tried to then compile what we think are the best races and we've had some help as well from instagram so thanks everybody that reached out and suggested races for us to include in here a couple of them we thought of, a couple of them we didn't, a couple of them made it, and a couple of them didn't. But what we've basically come up with is our top 10 and about, to be honest, we've probably got about 10 other honourable mentions of what we think are the best, most entertaining races of all time. And I think you had a good bit of fun just watching and, yeah, getting to know the sport a little bit better, the history of the sport. Yeah, exactly. And like you talk about familiarity there, there are some races which I knew and some that I knew really well, and there were some which were total surprises. And it's just a lot of fun. And and that, I think that's something that's so important to really recognise with this is that sometimes you can watch races that, as an individual performance by an athlete, are really fun to see. I mean, when you watch any say Kipchoge kind of world record performance where he's just so far out in front it's fun to watch that barrier be broken but as a race the actual entity of what racing means is, is yeah there's not a whole lot going on yeah there's it, not a huge amount of competition yeah that's not where the entertainment value comes from but with these we tried to pick them just because there's all some degree of drama or some degree of entertainment where you just you almost kind of your heart rate goes up and you're looking at them going like whoa and that's that's really I think the emotion that we wanted to focus on whilst picking these races so times doesn't necessarily matter don't get us wrong there's some bloody quick running in here um but like i say just that kind of entertainment value that was that was so special to us and that's how we've sort of compiled our list but like i say kieran has sort of shown me a lot and he's also got some honorable mentions that i think he's best to talk about because i didn't get really time to look at those in detail so kieran where do you want to start um so i suppose should we start off with the honourable mentions. We'll start off with the honourable mentions that we thought of, and then we'll go into the Instagram submissions because a couple of the Instagram submissions did make it into the final list of ten. So we don't want to kind of dwell on those too much. I suppose if it made it into the final list of ten, I'll just say it, and we'll we'll skip over it, and we'll say we'll talk about it later. Um, 
So the first of ours that we caught, that we kind of chucked on the list that didn't make it into the final cut in the top 10. And I'm sorry, Americans, any Americans listening, you're probably going to be a bit disappointed with this one. But it's the 1972 Olympic 5000 meter race featuring the late, great Steve Prefontaine. And you said you'd heard of Prefontaine before this and you kind of knew his legacy as just being. What, what was it you described him as? Just a savage, basically. <laughs> yeah, just, just a hard, a hardcore kind of do-or-die person. <laughs> yeah. I, there's a B word that comes after hard. Yeah. <laughs> springs to mind when you think of Prefontaine. And he ran this race exactly like a hard <laughs> Like, his plan was basically, and anyone who's watched the film Without Limits will know that I'm pretty much quoting directly from it when I tell the story of this race. And anyone who hasn't watched it, you should go and watch it. If you're a running fan, it's, in my opinion, certainly top five best running movies that I've ever seen, which another pod that we could do, uh, rank the best running movies we've ever seen. That's a good chat. Might require, <laughs> might require some quite lengthy homework. I think uh, so, yeah. A couple of it with <laughs> being at least about an hour and a half a pop. <laughs> but yeah, the 72 Olympic 5,000 metres. So Prefontaine was known for having an all right kick, but not the most amazing kick in the world. And he was coming up against people like the likes of Gamudi and Lassie Viren that had, that were known for having incredibly fast kicks. Uh, there was another Swedish guy, uh, or sorry, Finnish guy. I think his name's Vertainen, who was known for having an absolutely rapid finish. He'd run the last lap of the European Championships. Uh, either the year before or two years before in something stupid like 51 or something. Wow. So it was fancied that Pre was likely to get outkicked in this race. So he went in with a strategy of, right, I'm going to run the last mile of this 5,000 meters in under four minutes. And if anyone can do that, then they'll beat me. If they can't, then I'll win the Olympics, basically. So four laps to go, Prefontaine, he takes off. He's leading and he's leading the likes of and he pulls he pulls clear a group of him, Viren, Gamudi, and Scotsman running for Great Britain, Ian Stewart. And I think McC no, not McCafferty. Somebody else was in there as well. Either way, these guys get away, and it's basically just a constant fight between Prefontaine and Lasse Viren, just swapping the lead both of them just trying to break each other and yeah he just he ran it so hard from so far out and he made so many moves he was still in it with about 100 meters to go he had just missed trying to take the lead before the final turn before 200 meters to go Viren takes off no one can catch it unless Viren wins the gold Gamudi tries to go after Viren, but doesn't. He can't quite get there, and he's always struggling a little bit for pace. I think Gamudi was kind of in the twilight of his career by this point. And Prefontaine is just the word that they used on the on the commentary is the best word that I can use. He's absolutely bankrupt, <laughs> and he just comes crawling in, just desperately trying on trying to hold on to this silver med uh, this bronze medal when he had gone so hard for gold and just loses it, literally, again, I'm going to quote from the commentary, in the final strides, dies in the final strides, and Ian Stewart gets past him to win a bronze medal for Great Britain. But the reason why this race makes it on here is just because it was just such a gutsy race, and he just ran for gold and was not satisfied. He could have easily run that race for second or third, knowing that Viren was a class above everybody else and also blood doping, but that's another issue. <laughs> 
but he didn't. He thought he just was ruthlessly going after the gold medal. And that was kind of what he represented. And I think a combination of that attitude and his untimely death is why he's lived on so like so well in the history of American distance running, when perhaps there were runners in the 70s that achieved a little bit more than him. I mean, in that very same Olympics, Dave Wassell and... Frank Shorter won the gold medals in the 800 metres and the marathon, but Prefontaine, who came fourth in the 5K, is when he gets a movie made up made about him. I mean, yeah. say say what you will about that, but that's our first honourable mention. We'll move swiftly on to the 1977 World Cup 1500, and this is probably one of the races on here that had the least up for grabs. Most of the ones on here are kind of the world championship or Olympic finals, or it, it's kind of a big event. But as far as I know, the world cup wasn't, wasn't really a huge deal, but it was a race between Steve Ovet and John Walker. John Walker from New Zealand was the world record over 1500 meters at the time. And it came down to a kick in the last 200 meters over 1500. And Ovet just takes off. It's an incredible like, thing to watch. It really it's is. ridiculous. And it must have been an incredible thing to be in the race against because John Walker, the world record holder, and I think he might have even been the Olympic champion at the time as well, he couldn't handle Ovet's kick to the point where with 150 to go, he just stepped off the track because he could not believe, and he said this <laughs> in an interview afterwards, could not believe just how rapidly Ovet had just accelerated and just gotten away from everybody. And which, and, and just, well, just to just to put a few things I've sort of made notes of of these races as I've been looking at them and, and watching them um it was a big group that he accelerated away from the, there was a big group that carried through the rest of that race um obviously 1500 big group of the best 1500 meter runners in the world that's like. what I was going to say is that 1500 races obviously they don't get quite as spread out as some of the other disciplines but mm. to to see a group that tight and then to see one person pull so confidently away is quite incredible 100%. If I remember right, I think he did give a little wave to the crowd as he came he, to the he home did, straight yeah, as well. In, in the as, last hundred, yeah. as we know over loves to do, and that is why we love him. Yeah. Uh, uh, just very quickly before we move off from that, though, some of the uh, some of the great things about watching these videos, and arguably some of the comedy and uh, drama and the entertainment value of these, come from how people react to them, commentators and crowds and things like that. <laughs> and uh, a phrase that the commentator uses on the video to this particular one is, is "field of thunder," which I thought was brilliant. <laughs> he says, that, accelerates yeah, away like from that. this field of thunder and you just thought yeah that's a that's one of those things <laughs> if, if you hear that said about yourself you sort of walk you, you come back into the into the frame on your next race and go yeah that was me that was my number one like that <laughs> no i like that he certainly did have a thunderous kick so i i do like that and we'll stick with the theme of steve ovet but perhaps not quite in such a good light for the next honorable mention on the list and that is the 1980 crystal palace 5000 meters again a fairly low key race like to be honest i don't even know what meet this is i just know it was in 1980 at crystal palace and it was over 5000 meters um but it was a fairly a fairly quick run 5000 meters i think for the time um and it came down to a kick again, surprisingly, with Ovet in the race. Um, and it was between him and John Tracy, the Irishman, who, with all due respect, I mean, he was a fantastic runner, fantastic cross-country runner, but wasn't really known for his speed at the end of the race. So Ovet 
just sort of did his thing, waved to the crowd, eased away from him. But Tracy, just on this day, just was not going to give up and was just absolutely pouring it on, giving him, giving it absolutely everything to keep up with Ovette. And Ovette just sort of got a bit complacent in the last couple of strides, like sort of 10 metres before the line, thinking that he'd absolutely, you know, done away with Tracy, um, which he hadn't. And John Tracy ended up dipping him on the line. And like, it's, it's the sort of thing that if it happened nowadays, it would be on like, ESPN like not top 10 like <laughs> it was a proper fail of an early celebration yeah it would be on one of those um like a fail, a fail army kind of uh, compilation videos of uh, don't celebrate yeah. too early yeah well I think one of the I don't know if it was the video link that I sent you but one of the video links on YouTube is literally titled arrogance persona yes it was which, the one that you sent me <laughs> is that the one that I sent you yeah, yeah I mean it's a, that's a little harsh but because it's just overt being overt but maybe he was arrogance personified just as a guy uh, just with his career with the way that he ran but he certainly made it entertaining it's entertaining enough that I think he might be one of only two or three people that has more than one race on this list so yeah kudos to Ovet for that uh, maybe not so much for getting dipped on the line by someone <laughs> that's known as being not really a great kicker anyway next honorable mention is the 1982 boston marathon commonly known as the jewel in the sun um i don't know how, how much of this video did you manage to get to watch yeah, i watched a decent amount of it and funnily enough do you know what the first the first note that i wrote on this one is just motorbikes there's so many motorbikes you'd think it was a motorbike yeah. race more, more than a foot race <laughs> well i know and they just properly got in the way as well didn't they yeah exactly the crowd as well one of the things that i noticed as well from going back and watching this is the crowd just got completely in the way yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. they were right on the roads right in the runners faces like i would have found that personally really off-putting but anyway the the significant thing about this race was that alberto salazar which i mean we won't talk about his exploits since then but basically i mean he was thought of as being almost unbeatable he was the world record holder at the time he might have even had the course record for the boston marathon as well which as we know is one of the most prestigious marathons in the world yeah he came up against a proper challenge from fellow american dick beardsley in this race which quality name but we won't dwell on that too much <laughs> but dick beardsley i mean is that has there ever been a more 80s running name <laughs> no <laughs> But yeah, so he came up from a proper challenge to him in absolutely brutal conditions. Like it was crazy hot that day. And they were both just taking absolute lumps out of each other. At one point, Beardsley kind of got away a little bit and looked like he was going to going to pull away and eventually win. But Salazar produced probably one of the better sprints I've ever seen in a marathon uh, finish. And yeah, pipped him to the post in the end. And I don't know if this was the marathon or if it was a different one. But at some point after a marathon, Salazar ran himself to such exhaustion and dehydration that he was at some point declared legally dead. <laughs> I so, did not know that, but that's incredible. Yeah, so that's that's definitely something that's worth mentioning. But only worth an honourable mention in the content, context of this list. Um, but we'll stick with the marathon for our next and the final honourable mention of races that we thought of and that is the 2008 Olympic marathon, which I think a lot of people will famously know is the ra- the marathon where Sammy Wanjiru just, I mean, he just attacked it, just 
surges on surges on surges. And I think we even mentioned this in our podcast when we were talking about the top five performances of all time, that this would be one of the better races of all time, certainly one of the better marathon races. I mean, there's only one other marathon race that we've put ahead of this that actually made it into the top 10. But yeah, Sammy Wanjuri just the complete lack of respect for (laughs) the marathon distance, the conditions in Beijing, his competition, just running it like an absolute savage running two Oh six in those conditions, the way that he did it, it was was just outrageous. Yeah. It was another hot day as well. And you can, you can always tell because marathon runners know how to deal with the conditions, but it's the difference between when you see people grabbing water bottles and taking a sip uh, or just literally just pouring the whole thing over their head. It's just one of those. Yeah, people just, I think the way that you can really tell if it's brutal conditions is when elite athletes, like the best in the world, they're at the Olympics, so they're obviously the best in the country and the best in the world. They're stopping at water stations. Yeah, literally. Because they got to stop and they got to take multiple drinks and sponges and pour stuff like over their heads and stuff like that's when you can tell that it's properly nasty conditions yeah and i think you can see that in the faces of all the athletes from pretty much any point in the race as well i mean in my Mm. notes in my notes i wrote hurt from halfway which i think is probably probably the the kinder way to put it because but you can see it and in every single from from back to front every athlete that you actually get a, a camera focused on from the halfway point there you can just see the pain and the kind of you know what it's like when a run is hurting but you know that there's a lot of it left you have to oh really it just it makes it so much worse you've got to find that composure to just stay on a level and you can see each individual athlete kind of wrestling with it which is it's quite hypnotic to watch in a weird way because you get so used to seeing certain expressions through different runners, but when they're all hurting, you know, sometimes some people look comfortable and some people look like they're hurting and you go, they'll be the next one to drop off. But even the people that looked like they were going to win it kind of at the halfway point, you know, because that order, like you say, it shuffles around and there's a surge, it shuffles and there's a surge and it's it's quite an unpredictable race. But the one thing that you do know the whole way through is there's a lot of hurt in there. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And that's one of the things that makes it so special uh, and makes Wanjiru's performance so special is he just destroyed people. Like, there were people clinging on, like, literally probably barely holding on for life at the end of that race. Yeah. He just seemingly was just immune to it all, which uh, was just kind of crazy. Right. I bet you he didn't feel like that come the end of it. I bet you he was relieved oh, I when bet. it was over. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, Wanjiru was a crazy man. Um Again, maybe one that whose untimely death has kind of elevated his legacy. Yeah. Uh, but again, who knows what he would have gone on to do had that had he not tragically died so early. Um, but anyway, Instagram submissions. We had some pretty good Instagram submissions, like some some real wild cards that I wouldn't have expected, and some other ones that really kind of backed up that we were definitely along the right lines with what we were thinking. Uh, so we'll start off from the first ones that we got. So one of the first ones we got, we got a couple from my coach, Chris Thompson, who I think those of you who know who we, who he is, will know that he knows a thing or two about running. Um, so his first nomination was Mick McLeod versus Brendan Foster in the 1978 Commonwealth trials, 5,000. Now, this is a race that I I actually, when I searched it, I had watched it on YouTube before, but I had no memory of really what happened. 
But, I mean, this is kind of a crazy race because these guys in the British Championships, essentially, slash Commonwealth Trials, they had gone out in the 5,000 at just a random race in England, essentially. They'd gone out for the first half at world record pace, just trying to break each other, just taking lumps out of each other. Um, And they realised kind of that they probably weren't going to break the world record. They were inevitably going to slow in the later stages and neither of them was going to drop the other. So it just got a little bit tactical and they spent the next few laps just kind of looking at each other and tactically trying to be in the right position. One trying to draft off the other until it came to the last 200 meters. And I have never seen an acceleration like it. Like it was just ridiculous. They, they went from jog to sprint in a matter of seconds. Wow. And it was like that for the entire last 200 meters. Like they were neck and neck and neck and neck. And it was kind of, it's kind of like those situations like you see on like cartoons or like TV <laughs> shows where one pulls ahead and then they're level and then the other one pulls ahead and then they're level. And then like, it was just back and forth through the entire last 200 um with mick mcleod eventually uh tipping brendan foster for for the win i think they both ended up going to the commies that year can't remember where they finished but yeah that was a quality race that was a good little submission uh chris other submission that he gave was definitely a wild card and absolutely no way either of us would have thought of this one that was this one to preface it is perhaps not a great one of the greatest races of all time but certainly represents one of the greatest performances and just running above and beyond what you think that you should would be capable of i mean i don't know this because i don't know the guy but this is carl keska's performance in the 10,000 at the 2000 uh, at the 2000 olympics in sydney so i don't know i don't think he'd broken 28 minutes coming into the olympics and he comes in and he runs PBs in the heat and finals. He runs 27.48 to qualify for the final and then runs 27.44 to finish eighth in the final. And like to run, that's in the space of three days. Anyone who's run the 10,000 meters, and Sam, you've run a 10K on the road, so you'll kind of be able to relate to this. Like imagine three days later going out and running faster than that, faster than you ever kind of knew that you could run before yeah let's say like that's that's mentally it's a hard bold, enough it's a bold but, concept knowing that you've got to do it once but you've got to have yeah. something left in the tank i think that's what makes it so so demanding well what i think makes this particularly impressive is he probably had nothing left in the tank after yeah. that ten thousand, but then came back and just ran just on his reserves and he obviously did have something left in the tank that he probably didn't even know about but it just speaks, yeah, speaks a lot for his character and it speaks a lot as well for just how well he prepared to get himself ready to really peak for those Olympic Games. I mean, yeah, to the physical demand of running just one 10,000 metres as hard as you can in spikes on the track and the emotional demand of doing it on such a big stage like the Olympics, which in Sydney is literally the opposite side of the world as well. So yeah. there would have been a pretty good travel element involved generally you'd go out quite early before an Olympic Games, you'd go to a holding camp for a month or so. But still, like it's It's for a lot me, to that adjust is, to, isn't it? Yeah. Given given every circumstance that's going on, to still be able 100%. to go in and push your PB not once but twice is it speaks a hell of a lot of what's capable when you dig deep. Hundred percent. And yeah, that's 
it's such a wild card and there's probably quite a lot of other stories that are very similar to this but that does really stand out to me as one of the most incredible performances I've ever heard of so yeah it's, it's only an honorable mention but it's certainly certainly well worth a mention uh so our next submissions the submissions seem to be coming in twos I'm not entirely sure why but <laughs> why not? yeah people but yeah exactly why not chuck a couple of races in the hat so Phil Norman who's one of our better steeplechasers uh in the UK just missed out on selection for the world championships last year very controversially after having um achieved the qualification standard via the ranking system but missing out on the automatic British Athletics selection. He was then invited and British Athletics turned down that invitation. Uh, just a little bit of background on Phil, no- Phil Norman, for those who don't know him. Um, his submissions were Rudisha's performance in 2012, which, in case you hadn't already guessed, that has made the top 10, so we'll kind of limit what we say about that. And the Armar 5K, which I'm sure quite a lot of our listeners will know of be fans of and maybe even a few will have gone and run it it's uh, um, themselves it's widely regarded as one of the quickest 5ks um within the uk it's running northern ireland and armagh um yeah i mean my 5k pb on the roads comes from there by 1353 last year um i think quite a few other people who have run that course would say the same thing that their pb also comes from there um, not quite sure it makes it into the top 10 races of all time, but yeah, certainly worth a mention. Our next submission. Oh, did you hear that there? Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> that, was, this is that not... was a hell of a voice crack. Yeah, <laughs> not, a, not, a per- <laughs> not a perfect line, is it? We'll have to hope that you had a. Uh, cool. we'll I'm to talking hope, to, hope I'm that talking your dodgy phone much. We need plays, to get... plays it off. And if you'd done it on a nice <laughs> proper microphone, it would have sounded even worse. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, the. The Apple headphone speakers will probably disguise it a little bit, but <laughs> a quick regression to being 16 years old there. Um, yeah, we'll get to we'll get to the races that you can play a little bit more of a, a part in because I'm just sort of rambling at the moment. No, so our next right, Instagram on. submission, next Instagram submission comes from Ross Hammonds. That was the Ipswich Twilight 5K, which another race that I personally have run in. Uh, ran 1354 there last year. Just missed my PB. Um, yeah, I mean, what can we say about the Ipswich 5K? It's my personal favourite 5K on the road. Sorry, Amar, but we're from Ipswich. I'm going to back the Ipswich 5K. Um, having such a special race be your hometown race is really cool for me. I mean, if you want to go and run a fast 5K within the UK on the roads, you go to either Ipswich or Amar. Like, those are the two. It's, so having one of those 20 minutes from my doorstep, that's pretty cool. And it's good because because of what Ipswich kind of misses out on sometimes, I think, uh, and this is not the Community Steadfast podcast, this is just um, <laughs> this is just running focused, I promise. But it is, having lived in Ipswich for all my life and knowing kind of the slump that it's gone through and, and watching the waterfront, which is where they host the race, become mm-hmm. this redeveloped hotspot area to, to host... a. Um, Let's not get this wrong. It's a proper event. When you go and watch some events... Well, it's, it's the national championships. It's the national 5K championships. Exactly. And, and what I kind of mean by a proper event is sometimes you go to things and it doesn't look... You know, you, it looks like a little fun run just because there's some things there and they might just have a, mm. a little archway at the finish. But this is proper. There's a there's a, yeah, there's an actual car that drives around with people. They have different heats. <laughs> there's, you know, all those segmented sections that make it look yeah. like a proper... Well, most importantly, there's a crowd... 
Exactly, you know, and and it's a crowd that enjoys, you know, enjoys a beer whilst they're watching, and it, it combines a lot of those elements that are sometimes difficult to gather in other races to make yeah, it a really definitely. good event. Yeah, definitely. Well, the start and finishing straight runs past Christ knows how many bars. Exactly. Um, yeah. So it's not yeah, it's not hard to hop into. Um, I've forgotten the name of. The, I don't know why I always blank on the name of this place. Yeah, you there's, know the one that there's I'm talking Colton, about. There's Colton. There's Aurora at the finish line, and Isaacs is by the start line. Isaacs yeah. is Isaacs is probably the most ideal place because you get three views, wouldn't you? You'd get the start, the middle lap, and then coming into the finish. Exactly. Isaacs is probably probably five or five or six hundred meters from the finish. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of an actual race, in terms of entertainment value, things like that. I mean, it's great, but it's not the top ten of all time. Last year, in terms of a race, it was probably pretty boring because Gulab just sort of ran away from everybody. Um, But yeah, that's a a good one. It's not one that I would have thought to include on this list. Sorry, Carl, as much as I love it. But yeah, our next Instagram submission comes from Paul Wayne, another Ipswich boy. His vote was for the Night of 10,000 Meter PBs, uh, which is hosted at Highgate. It's also hosted the European Cup in the last couple of years. And... I'm doing well. I'm three for three on having competed in the races that people have submitted uh, so far. He specifically said the 2018 race between Alex Yee, Andy Vernon and Chris Thompson was the one that he really enjoyed, which is kind of a race within the race. Richard Ringer from Germany won that race in it was about 2730 or so. But this race between these three was for the British Championship. And it really came down to a sprint where Yee had gotten away a little bit. And Vernon and Thompson were just properly chasing him down in the last lap and didn't quite manage to get him in the end, but made for a really exciting, tense finish. Um, The event itself is probably the best event on the track and field calendar in the UK, at least possibly in the world. In my opinion, I I just think it's brilliant. There's food, there's beer, there's big crowds. You can come in onto the track in lane three to cheer for the athletes. There's beer tents on the back straight and the home straight, which is, some of the loudest sounds that I've ever heard in a race. There's when the leader comes past in the last, I think it's mile or two K there's fire cannons fire off. <laughs> like it's, it's modernizing like, athletics it's, to a degree. Isn't yeah. It? It's a properly cool event. Yeah. Um, but in terms of a worldwide skeptic, um, spectacle and the best races of all time, it just hasn't quite had a race that's had that wow factor that, makes it into the top 10 list yeah. which is why with but there's plenty of time no oh 100 percent. i mean it's it's a race that's just growing year to year and i think it's at the kind of the perfect place right now where it's kind of the best european and british athletes are in the a heat the main event of the night uh which i got to run in last year and got to run in the b heat the year before and yeah i think it, if it just sort of stays pretty much at the level it's at but continues to build on the hype uh and all of the kind of the other stuff around it i think that's kind of where it's at its most interesting but yeah we'll move on to the next little next little honorable mention slash instagram submission uh so we've got emily Moyes, uh who i know very well as do you has submitted this is the only female race which is probably one of my biggest regrets uh, but the only female race that's made it in so far, or well, not even so far, that's made it into the top 10 at all. But it was one that we'd already thought of, and it's one of the best races that I've ever seen live. 
And that's Emma Coburn's victory in the 2017 World Championships in London, which uh, awesome race. It was awesome to see live. Won't talk too much about it because it's just it's a plus one. We've already got it in our top 10. Next submission from Instagram. Another one that we've got in our top 10 is from Jack Rathborn. It's a plus two on Rudisha. Like We had Rudisha already, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> we? But the fact that two people have submitted it, I think, you know, forecasting for Rudisha being pretty placed pretty well. Um, yeah. And then our last Instagram submission or last two Instagram submissions, uh, which both made it into the top 10, both coming from goblins and ghouls tc oh no ghouls and goblins tc tc run by my former iona teammate and current shaftesbury barnet teammate liam d um yeah so his two submissions first of all was the 1964 olympic 10,000 meters which was a quality race we'll talk more about that later and was also the queen street mile which actually we might as well transition straight into because we have ranked that as number 10 in our list of top 10. Nice. Finally, how, how long have we been recording? This has probably been best part of half an hour. It's taken us to actually get to the top 10, but no, we're here. I know. We're right. on number 10. There we <laughs> the go. 1983 we Queen Street Mile. We got that. Tell us about it because you haven't said anything in about 10 minutes. No, I haven't. No. Well, the first thing I'll say is I think we might be better to do what we did with the last pod and cut this one in half again. So uh, we'll have a, I think we'll probably go up. Should we go up to number five? We'll get up to, I'll tell you what, we'll go up to number six on this one after chatting away. Um, and then we'll and then we'll release the top five and then we'll do the top five as a two-parter because like i said last time let's be honest all of you should be at home bored and not have anything else to do so you can listen to two pods on the spin (laughs) yeah there we go i mean we'll see how long it takes us if if we manage to get if we manage to get it under about 90 minutes or so for the whole thing we might as well just keep it as one but we'll see (laughs) let's talk (laughs) about some enjoyable rambling yeah, this could be some enjoyable ramblings for people mid-podcast uh, when they listen to it. Always. So, Always. yeah. All right. Make your predictions now. Do you think it's going to be a one or a two? Well, they'll know, won't they, actually? Never mind. Forget that. <laughs> Doesn't work predict- like that, does it? Oh, dear. Right. Let's stop. Yeah, I predict we'll get through it. Okay. Right. Okay. Let's talk, let's, let's talk about a race, shall let's we? Start- and let's talk about a race that I'm not sure that they run anymore. No, I don't think they do. To be honest, this is the only edition of the Queen Street Mile that I have ever watched or even really heard of. Um, pretty sure it's in Australia. Yes. <laughs> to be honest, I don't know a great deal about it, but I had watched it before and we're putting it in because it is crazy what they ran here. And the only reason that I, would have, I wouldn't have thought of it without the submission from Instagram. So thank you, Liam. And thank you, Goblins and Ghouls. Ghouls and Goblins. I don't know why my, I want to say Goblins first, but... Sorry, guys. Ghouls and Goblins TC. Who knows? You don't follow them on Instagram, give them a follow. Good content, great t-shirts. Good. Uh, And I think the reason that people who maybe necessarily aren't into running, because I know that I'd watched this race before today, if that makes sense, before we sort of lined this up. I know that I'd watched it at some point. I'll tell you the reason why people have watched it is because they've Googled what's the fastest mile ever. In the way that human curiosity, (laughs) we want to know what the fastest anything is or the highest building or this or that. And, And you've got kind of like your, you know, your kind of within a certain rule book limitations on all of these things but then there's always the without the rule book and this is a quality example <laughs> of what is possible when you take that rule book and you shred it into little you pieces just throw it out the window and throw you just it let down the someone road, yeah 
<laughs> Sorry, yeah. literally down the road exactly down yeah. a massive hill mile long mile long downhill all right guys let's get the best run and one thing to consider as well is these are still the best runners in the world the race was won by mike Boyd, and then it was steve scott in second who was the american record holder in the mark with god for a, a very very long time until alan webb broke it and i mean who knows when alan webb's record's gonna go because 346 for the mile is disgusting but do you know what's even more disgusting than 346 for the mile it's 328 for the mile just say that again (laughs) 328 for a mile can you imagine that's it is just ludicrous isn't it and yeah that was the time that mike boyt ran here in the queen street mile and it was a close finish as well like i'm pretty sure scott was sub 350 as well yeah it wasn't there wasn't much outside it but sorry 350 330 yeah, I'm, I'm, these are times that I'm not used to discussing the mile. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Well, three twenty-eight t- would be one of the fastest fifteen hundred meter times. That's exactly what time. I was going to say. Obviously, we talked yeah. about that before we uh, before we hit hit go on the, on the on the recording here. But um, what do you say <laughs> well, the, we, the 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 fifteen hundred record was? It's uh, three twenty-six. Did you say three twenty-six point zero? Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah, that's what you asked me before this because you're like, hang on, like this this seems like otherworldly fast like yeah so if he had gone through 1500 dead on world record pace he would have either he either went through 1500 way under world record pace or he ran the last 109 meters in two and a bit seconds (laughs) (laughs) make your mind up i don't think there's an official 1500 meter split from the race so make your mind up which you think it is i'm you know slightly lean towards one side but yeah either way hell of a race and while i think of it as well we should look to try and get as many of the YouTube links as we can that we've got saved on our little dock here into the show notes so people can yeah, kind of either watch along whilst they listen or and just have us be the running commentary instead of whatever commentators they have on there. Although some of these do feature some pretty spicy commentary as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, one thing that I would say is, is um, yeah, as as I'm the person who kind of puts this all together and links things up, I will do my best to include all of those links, especially on the YouTube description um, where you can have a little bit more fun with it all. But um, what I was going to yes, say definitely. is, do you think, here you go, in the Go world on. of running, which has suddenly taken a bit of a boost again because of certain shoes and because of <laughs> certainly since the 1980s, you think we've had Usain Bolt come along and redefine what's possible. You've had Kipchoge in the marathon. You've had Bekele just be Bekele. You've had all of these runners that have gone on to achieve these incredible things. Do you think there could be an appetite to just throw the rule book out the window again and do something like this once more? I'm thinking big hill somewhere. I'm thinking expensive Nike bouncy shoes. And I'm thinking <laughs> the best the best current crop to see if it's possible to go even faster. Yeah, I think it that would be very interesting because I think the current crop probably could go faster because you've got things like would just probably you'd probably just take if your goal was to run the fastest mile any human has ever done and that was the entire goal like there'd be a lot more sciencey stuff with measuring out the course because there's definitely there's got to be a certain um kind of gradient to how steep the hill would be to kind of maximize performance because <laughs> yeah, obviously you can't otherwise it'd just be a cliff and you just jump off <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You uh, you're not really running. You jump out of a plane. You're just committing you suicide in a pair of vapor flies. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't quite count. <laughs> There's definitely. I mean, 
there were parts of this of even this race where you looked at the runners and you think surely that's too steep it looks like, unsteady surely yeah. they're actually running with the brakes on a little bit here so maybe there's a perfect cal- there's a perfect road somewhere that's dead on a mile long at the perfect calibration and they can relay it so that it's all nice and smooth underfoot and they can put some put some chonky boys on their feet and bounce their way to like a 310 mile. Like, <laughs> yeah, imagine, imagine. Yeah, I'm sure it's doable. I'm yeah. sure it's doable. They, there you go. So anybody who's got some clout in their local community, if you've got a hill and you've got a <laughs> pair of Nike, Nike Vaporflies, why don't you go out and make history? <laughs> exactly. Well, maybe they could try and do it on the course that um, Nick Simmons ran his mile his 350 what is it whatever it was 357 or, or 350 crazy, 350 yeah. yeah just dipped under four but that's from a guy it, i mean that was about 35 seconds quicker than he ran a mile on the track not too long before that yeah it would, so it'd be an interesting measure wouldn't it to see if you take what's capable. if you assume yeah i mean if you assume that that gap does get smaller as the runner gets faster if you take say a four flat miler do they get maybe maybe a twenty five second boost out of that? Would that would then put them at you know three thirty five? Maybe if you got like Jakob Ingebrigtsen, for example, you got the three Ingebrigtsens because technically in these times of social distancing, those three live together; they'd be allowed to run together. <laughs> get those three in a race, downhill mile, just pound it, absolutely take lumps out of each other. I reckon one of them could do it. That's a good yeah. That's a that's an interesting concept. Well, we'll get on Twitter and we'll uh, start tweeting them immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Just start hassling the Ingebrigts. <laughs> I don't care about your health and safety. Go run a fast mile for it. For our entertainment. Yeah, exactly. Oh, right. Well, that's. We should probably move on to number nine on the list then. Go on, which chop, is chop. probably, I reckon it's probably another one that you've seen on YouTube as well, floating around before, or somebody's posted it on Facebook as like a never give up type of thing. One of those inspirational videos. And that is, it's another one from the 1972 Olympics. And we gave him a shout out earlier. It was Dave Wattle winning the 800 meters from, uh, he Randy Orton did basically, didn't he? Yeah, it was, it's, it's one of those things where after a race that is also on this list, you just wouldn't expect to see, runs like this you you won't ever see a run like this ever again i don't think ever no i mean well especially since uh rudisha has come along and just changed the face of how people attack the 800 meters exactly so i think for anyone yeah somebody running kind of... even splits and he it may have even been a slight negative split but it was pretty much even splits to win the olympic 800 meters like there's just uh, yeah it's crazy so let's talk about this race specifically. So Dave Wall, I hadn't watched this race before today when I was doing my homework. And the first thing that struck me, again, one thing that you'll never see anymore is you've got all of what you'd expect to see, your various athletes all in their national colours. You've got some Kenyans in there. You've got your Americans. And then it plods to, the best way I can describe it is a average looking bloke wearing a golf cap. Like literally, <laughs> literally he's wearing a hat. But it's the sort of thing you'd expect to see Donald Trump taking off his hat as he taking off his head as he gets into air force one it is it looks that level <laughs> yeah, of goofy you know, it does yeah no it is kind of i'm trying to think of the stereotype but yeah i think golf you kind of nailed it with golf yeah it's, it's your old business your old man businessman who's pulling up to the golf club and he's got that hat on and he's got his his sweater vest he's you know checkered sweater vest that he's wearing and he's perfect white trousers <laughs> it's, it's like one of those types of caps but he wore that in pretty much every race he did and I mean, it must have been lucky or something because what a race from him. I mean, that's, we'll kind of paint the picture. If you're watching along, you'll be able to see it as well. 
the first lap, I mean, he's out the back. He's absolutely nowhere. And the commentator at one point actually says, like, I think Dave Wattle must be injured here. I think he must have something wrong with him because he's so far off the pace. There's no way that he's running with a healthy body. And he had, I think, had some injury injury troubles leading up to that race. He'd had some knee problems or something like that. He's had yeah. problems in both his knees that had kind of restricted his training. So if you know that and you're watching this race unfold, you must think like, ah, oh, Dave's knees are gone. Like <laughs> this it's just not gonna happen, despite him being yeah. one of the fastest runners in the world at that point. And I think the astonishing thing that just so it's so jarring to watch at first is because with eight hundred meter races, regardless of how the final performance comes out, is it is a race where generally people s- stick together pretty much immediately and it's only in the last kind of i'd say maybe the last 300 meters where the the gap the gaps really start to open but this guy like you said he starts so far behind he's probably 20 yards behind the start yeah and it maybe just doesn't look more. natural no but he does the more the more times i watch this and i must have watched this race 20 30 times over the course of me just being a running nerd <laughs> um but he does catch up sooner than you think i mean by the time they get to the bell he's kind of on the back of the group he might even be in sixth or seventh by this point and then he just sort of floats there and slowly moves his way up and with about 100 150 meters or so to go he's still not even in a medal position no he's got the two kenyans and the other guy whose name escapes me ahead of him and he produces one hell of a last 100 meters i think he probably is still decelerating slightly because the way the 800 meter basically goes is everybody goes out like hell for leather and just slowly decelerates the entire race and the last hundred is just whoever's surviving is going to win basically most of the time what looks like in a kick a kick in the 800 meters is just the person who's decelerating the least but i mean he seemingly comes absolutely flying past those guys and just nips it on the line like it's astonishing. Again, like Kieran said, if you're watching along at home, you'll see this. But for anyone who hasn't had the chance yet, he literally goes from fourth to first in the space of what about fifty meters? Yeah, really not a, not a great deal of time. Like if you paused it, I, t- I reckon the best way to do it is if you let's say you printed out some individual frames from that last fifty meters <laughs> and you showed them and you said, right, bang this on the table. Who wins this race? Who wins? I yeah. don't think there's many people that would point at the guy in fourth place and go, well, I reckon he can <laughs> he can draw that back in. I think the I think the only people that would point to Dave Wattle would be the people that would point to him and say, yeah, I know this race, him, Dave Wattle. Yeah. <laughs> I think they'd be the only ones. Yeah, the nerd in the um, I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I probably wouldn't call him a nerd. He's, he seems like an all right guy. But yeah, um, it's just... What did I say about this beforehand? It's just him backing himself to the nth degree, isn't it? Like he just had so much confidence in his plan and in his ability to execute what he wanted to do on race day. And yeah, it just, it showed, it came together for him. Agreed. And yeah, there's not a huge amount more that I could really say about that. And other than it was a great race to watch. I mean, I don't think many people, if, if you're watching that race for the first time, I think, the first time anybody's ever watched that race is like, wow, how yeah. did he just do that? It, it, it is one of those, <laughs> I was going to say, take your hat off moments. <laughs> that's, a, that's a cheap pun at best. But yeah, it is, it, it's crazy to watch. And and I think it's so crazy, like we said, because you just won't see another race with all those elements going going into it anymore. You won't see a victory no. pull come off in an 800 ever again like that. So that's what makes it 
quite it's so just it's just unique it. isn't it yeah, yeah definitely all right so we'll move on to number eight on the list and it's uh absolute it's a clash of the titans isn't it like it's Similar to another race that we have a little higher up this list, but we'll stay focused on this one to, for now. It is the 2013 Great North Run, and it was just a showdown. And it mu- it was hyped so much leading into it and absolutely lived up to the hype. It was the world record ho- holder over 5,000 and 10,000 metres, Kenny Sibikele, the who was the current Olympic and world champion over the 10,000 5,000 metres, Mo Farah. And the legend that is Haile Gabriel Selassie, who had not lost the marathon world record too long before this. He was very much in the twilight of his career. I, yeah, I, I think I think I said to you earlier, I was doing some homework. He's 40 years old in this race. Yeah, which is mental. Just, um, like he finished the race on, what did we say? Just a, a little bit, not too far outside of 60, 60, I think it was 60 minutes, 40 seconds or 41 seconds. It was absolutely it's a ballistic time for anybody. <laughs> It really is. But I mean, the way that this race played out was pretty, I mean, it was a very entertaining race to watch, which is why it's made it into our top 10. I mean, the fact that it's a clash of the Titans is certainly probably what has elevated it to top 10 status. Had this race been between like, I don't know, me, you and Joe Bloggs, it probably wouldn't have made it into the top 10. But because it's between these three and because of the way the race played out, I think it's deserving of it. And it was only about a mile and a half or two miles to go. They were all still pretty much together after what was definitely not an easy pace. No, well, to be fair, I, I actually wrote some of the splits down here. And um, one in particular that stood out to me is the seventh mile. So you think you pass the halfway <laughs> point, you're in the thick of it by that point. You know, that sort of seven to ten mile range is where it really you start to know how i think it's fair to say by the time you get to that point you start to know how you're going to feel when you finish whether because if it's starting yes, to bite definitely. by that point you and know it's going to sting whereas if it's okay you think yeah i can i can roll with this yeah and what's worth mentioning as well before you read off this split because i know what you're about to say is they still have the best part of 10k to go exactly <laughs> that's what makes <laughs> anyway, it daunting so yeah, yeah seventh mile split four minutes 21 that's just ridiculous, isn't seven it? Seven miles, and then do you know what? I think <laughs> I think the I think the mile after that, I think the eighth uh, mile was four twenty-seven or something like that, or there or thereabouts. It was definitely yeah, no, they they put something. in some they put in some hard miles, like they took lumps out of each other, and that is one and... of those gutsy performances where, and you can tell in in the final pack, you know, those three those Titans, you can tell why they are the world class at the top of their field. They deserve to be out front because they've pushed out and they've said, right, well let's just see who can do it let's just go for it and to be putting in those times you know sub 430 times in a race like that is in the middle of a half marathon it's it's yeah it's just savage and these are these are three of the greatest 10,000 meter runners of all time so yeah for them that split is well no even for them like that split is insane that's that's 65s on the track that off the top of my head that is 13 32 5000 meter pace so 27 pretty much 27 flat 10000 meter pace it's moving it is moving in a half marathon in newcastle <laughs> ridiculous well. and it wasn't it wasn't good weather that day no it was it was wet maybe that added to some of the drama of it yeah well it definitely did and i think one of the other reasons why i think this race was so great is you can 
maybe not so much with Gabriel Selassie because he kind of falls out of shot in the last mile or so. Yeah. But you can see like just how much Mo and Vakili are just working for it, just yeah. hurting. It's brilliant. Like, this shows you just like this more than anything I've any other race I've ever seen shows you like the place you have to take yourself to to be the best runner in the world. And it's astonishing. So let's let's sort of paint the picture. As like I say, you've got these three world class um, athletes, and they've been pretty much with it right up until the last mile. And um, Gabriel Selassie, as the older man, as the person who's had his had the had the golden days and is now in the twilight of his career, can't hang on. Which is which is to be expected to some degree. And it leaves you with Bekele and Mo Farah, and they are literally this literally comes into a sprint for the finish and i reckon in the end it does but i want to i want to chime in with a little bit of credit towards gabriel selassie here oh, no, I'm <laughs> this not trying is to take away 2013 but not too far removed from his prime admittedly not at his absolute best but not too far removed from his prime absolutely takes off down the hill so yeah. anyone who knows the great north run course you go with about two miles to go you go down a short sharp hill you make a turn and then you're running along the um I guess you call it a... Basically, you've just run in a straight line for a couple of miles until you get to the end. And Bekele absolutely takes off. And he gaps... He drops Gebra Selassie and gaps Mo. Like, we're thinking... With about 800 metres to go, we'll kind of fast-forward it to there. Mo's how far do you reckon behind? 40 metres, 30 metres? Generously behind is how I'd probably word it. Yeah, there's enough yeah, we'll give it. you'd say that's not going to be make-upable. Yeah, you'd think, it was, you'd think it was a winning lead. Yeah. And spoiler alert, ultimately it is a winning lead, but Mo properly comes back at him. I mean, it's probably about six seconds, we'll say, but he really comes back at him to the point where with about 200 metres to go, he's, I mean, if he reached out, he could tap him on the shoulder. It's it was brilliant. That close. There's, there's, a, there's a couple of shots um, in the camera work of that, and one of them is an aerial shot at first, and you can kind of see... Mm how hard Mo Farah is closing. You yeah, really... you can just see that gap is just eroding. It is, <laughs> yeah, if, I, I reckon, honestly, if you did it as a, I reckon the most noticeable way to do it is if you put a big red line between the two of them, you just watch it get shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter yes. and shorter. It's astonishing to watch. And then the thing that gets me is, is let's be honest, Mo's facial expressions are pretty animated in all of his races when they get <laughs> yeah. tough, but this one in particular... He's no stranger to showing you just how much he's hurting. Yeah, this one in particular, you can you can see it, and you can see, and I'll tell you what, this is one of those things I just love, this is what I love watching in certain races, and even though I'm a big Kipchoge fan, you'll have to find really, really rare footage of him hurting to watch this, but Mo is the complete opposite, <laughs> it's great to see, you know when he's worked for it. Yeah, 100%. Well, Kipchoge is almost, it's almost like, it's almost robotic. It's inhuman, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Mo, if you literally, if you were to, if you were to cut him in half and you'd watch the, the bottom half of him, it's just doing what a runner does, which is go for it and run. And it's just all over the place. Mm. Look at his top half. And it's just, you can tell his whole life is falling apart. His hands are like coming up. <laughs> yeah. His hands are almost if you coming offered, up past if his If you head offered and... him death in that moment, <laughs> you can't help but think he might take it. Yeah, his hands are coming up past his head. His eyes are just, you know, you can't tell whether they're about to Bulging pop. out of yeah, his you can't skull. Tell whether they're about yeah, to pop he's... out or whether he's about to close them and never, ever open them again. And his teeth, Yeah, oh, honestly, 100%. He's eating his own face. Like, he's, <laughs> he's just in a world of pain. And do you know what's so funny? And, and this is great because he closes so hard and he closes the gap to all of like you say you know 
literally a stride or two's worth. Um, mm. But you can see that Bekele, and this is Bekele's first half marathon, don't forget. Um, he True. grins. He grins. You can see it two or three times. He just grins because he knows that he can just keep that little bit extra that Mo I'm going to say that I'm going to say that part of that was a grimace and oh, Bekele yeah. isn't Bekele isn't somebody that grimaces often he is and that is characteristic of East African runners Ethiopian runners especially it's hard to know when those guys are hurting until they're just gone and Bekele was I mean he would have been right on the edge if that was another 100 meters in that race no way yeah. he would have been gone yeah he'd yeah. have jogged it in basically yeah I think um, it was that sort of light at the end of the tunnel syndrome as he sort of he probably he probably actually couldn't feel his legs in the end. He probably just he was probably just going quickly enough that whatever his legs were going to do just did yeah they just did it. Just it. Happened. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, the, the last probably four to six hundred meters for both of those guys, it was probably just run on pure instinct. I mean, I've been there before. I know exactly what I like. Not not to that level, but and you probably do as well. You know what it means to just run on pure instinct. Oh yeah, yeah. Where you sort of. I, I've often described it as I get sort of a bit of a flowy, fuzzy feeling in all sorts of yeah. parts of my body where I'm not really sure. I get it in my hands and my feet and all sorts, and <laughs> you just sort of go for it. And it's, yeah, the entertainment value in the last, like you say, couple of miles of that race are just fantastic. Absolutely. Right, so that's our number eight. Number seven. And uh, Now, number seven is kind of an interesting one. It is the 1996 Olympic Marathon, and... I would like to claim that I don't think many people would have thought of this when compiling a top 10 list, but this one is significant for reasons that kind of transcend running. I think, is that appropriate to That's say? That's definitely appropriate to say. Mm. Definitely appropriate yeah. to say. Um, and again, this is not one that I know all the names of everything, know the names of all the participants off the top of my head. This is something that I have just learned for the first time today because Kieran, as you might imagine, has put together the majority of this list. Um, but... <laughs> But um, the man that the man that won it was a South African runner. How do we say the best way to say it was Tagwana? So it's Josiah Tagwane. Tagwane, there we go. And I I do not claim to be an expert at pronouncing South African names, but I think I think that's how to. I think that's the best way to do it. And no. what's significant about Josiah as a South African is that he was a black South African coming in a time. Well, a very difficult time. I don't know how vast your knowledge is on apartheid. I mean, mine isn't fantastic. But what I do know is that South Africa were not welcome to compete in the Olympic Games for a long time during apartheid and had only been welcomed back in the 1992 Games. This was the 1996. So this was the the second, um, yeah, the second Olympiad that South Africa had been kind of welcomed back into following apartheid. Yeah, and 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 to to kind of draw on the the social aspects of those, and we won't go into because, like I say, I don't think my knowledge or your knowledge is really good enough on something that's so hot to kind of talk about where you need to be bang on with facts. Yeah, I don't think we could really do it justice. No, but obviously, if you know anything about apartheid and the history of how it lifted, and obviously the legacy that Nelson Mandela created within within all of that, the the real identity of South Africa changed during that time period and what it meant to people. And, and funnily enough, um, this this uh, person who went on to win the to win the medal, Josiah. Togani, I don't want to be confident <laughs> on it, but you, you get the point. Togani, yeah. He was, he was the first black South African medalist at the Olympics, and it was a gold medal as well. It so, was a gold medal, and I think there's 
something kind of special about the fact that it was in the marathon as well after such a time of struggle because i mean what other event represents kind of the struggles of what black people black people in south africa would have gone through during apartheid than the marathon i can't think of anything better in the olympics yeah as a, as a kind that of could rep- comparative metaphor yeah. yeah that could really represent yeah metaphor like it's it's just a perfect metaphor in my mind um maybe that's maybe that's not my place to say but I, yeah no, I, I just think it was, it was a special point. race and exactly and beyond that it was a pretty good race as well i mean the um was it was it a korean runner that yeah, really south, took it to him south, yeah south korean runner and a kenyan runner uh, again you'll have to excuse me because i don't have their names written down but they both really took it and if you look i've written again in my notes here i've written the word leapfrogging with about five miles left to go uh, <laughs> yeah. you often you often see this in in marathoning that there will be a pack that kind of stays out the front and i think in pretty much any marathon race that you watch we've talked enough about them you tend to see a group fall into a slightly smaller group then kind of falls into the final group it just sort of yeah it thins down until you're left with just the last man standing usually isn't it whereas like yeah like you say like this one was different there was a lot of lead changes and a lot of people would kind of someone would get away and then they'd get drawn back in and then they'd get dropped and then they'd kind of like you say leapfrog and end up back in the lead by a couple of seconds and yeah, it was just, I imagine if you were watching it live, you'd have been right right on the edge of your seat thinking, it, like, who is going to win this marathon? Yeah, it's one where you can't tell. And especially with marathons, you get so used to seeing certain people take obvious leads. And by the time they came mm. into the stadium and they'd run the final 400, it was fairly obvious how it was going to line up. But when you actually, I, I watched this and I listened to all the stats and things they said, is mm. the difference, I think, between first and third, I think was only about eight seconds in total. Yes, yeah, I remember. Yeah, it's the closest, um, the closest marathon finish in Olympic history. So when you put it like that, I mean, when you say eight seconds, obviously, if eight seconds was in any other race, it would be a vast yawning chasm. But if you put that into the the size of the Olympia, yeah, if, if you were to measure the amount of seconds in a, I don't know exactly what the finishing time was, but let's say a two ten-ish kind of marathon, and you measured how many seconds are in that, it's a lot of seconds for somebody to open a gap. Exactly, yeah, I, know, yeah. I know exactly what you mean, so, and also the nature of road running versus track running doesn't like it just doesn't lend itself to a sit and kick type situation especially with such a long event exactly which um, not that not that this was a sit and kick race i think because they were taking lumps out of each other from from a long ways out but i my research for this and there's a series on youtube by the olympic youtube channel done a few a few years ago it's, it's been up, uploaded on there for a while and i just sort of went and watched all of the olympic marathons throughout history and this is the one that stood out the most to me um in terms of a just being an awesome race and b like like we've already discussed like the history and the sort of the social significance, social significance. Yeah, yeah exactly oh, wow jinx the social <laughs> significance behind it so yeah, yeah um, a, a meaningful seventh place a very meaningful seventh place. Um, so you have to move on to sixth? Yeah, go on. Let's move it into into territory. And I think All this right, is a race so that we've already teased a couple of times in our comments thus far. We have. Well, this is another one that was, it was plus one by Liam and the Ghouls and Goblins TC, who have got a fair few shout outs today. Uh, deservedly so, though, because they've contributed quite well to this. Uh, they've got two on the list, which I don't know if anybody else has 
two of their mentions on the list. So well done. Um, it's the 1964 Olympic 10,000 meters. Um, and this is another one that's had a movie made about it, actually, this race. I didn't know that it had a film made about it. Yeah. Um, for the life of me, I cannot remember what it's called. But yeah, it's had a movie made about it. I think it might have even been. Uh, no, it might, I don't think it was Disney. Disney made one of the Prefontaine films. Um, it may have been Disney. I don't know. Either way, there's a movie that's been made about it. Watch it if you like. One of the YouTube clip. One of the YouTube um, kind of clips of this race actually is from the movie and not from the race itself, which is quite funny because <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of selling itself as if this is the real footage of the race. Um, but yeah, I mean, this turned out to be a pretty crazy race. It was won by the American Billy Mills. And he was not favoured at all coming into this race. I don't know how much of the context behind the race you got. Um, probably not a great deal based off the video that I sent you. But Mills was very unfavoured. I think in a four-year Olympic cycle, he ran something like a two-minute PB uh, over the 10,000 metres. Oh, wow. And his... Yeah. <laughs> well, his, I've watched a video of him explaining his kind of thought behind how he did it so far. And it's just the most simplistic kind of get you gets you really back to the roots of running as like just a simplistic sport, just running as fast as you can for a designated amount of time. Is he basically said, well, I need to go four seconds a lap faster to win the Olympics. Well, one second a lap, that's nothing. That's just this and clicks his fingers. So two seconds a lap is just this click, click. <laughs> and then he just goes on until four. And it's like, I've got four years. If I can improve by a click a year, I can win the Olympics. And <laughs> everyone was like, yeah, all right. I know. And everyone was rightly so. Like if somebody, what would you, it would probably take about 27 dead to win the Olympics. Now you'd probably have to be in 2640 odd shape. Yeah. If a 29 flat runner, if I said to you now, hey, Sam, I've run 2830. I'm going to be in shape to run two minutes quicker in four years time. And I'm going to do it, you know, just because it's just this click of the fingers much per lap faster. I would hope that you would say to me and anybody else would, you're insane. That's I, impossible. I think, you're never going to be able to do it. I think I'd say that your eyes were bigger than your stomach, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this is what this guy Mills said. And this is what everybody replied to him with. They were like, what? That's crazy, Billy. Like if, if Billy Mills makes the Olympics, that's a great achievement. But he makes it. He wins it, and the race itself is pretty tasty. I would um, the, the 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 sort of the closing thought for me as everyone came down the the last straight was he just looked quite mm. scattered to me, and I hope you know what I mean by that is there's just a lot of bodies all over the place because obviously every yeah it didn't help with lapping the runners as well did it yeah because no. the race came down to it was between Mills. Gamudi, who we talked about earlier, and someone else who I, for the life of me, cannot remember who that other one was. But coming into the last like 70 meters, maybe, Mills was in third. He might have even been in fourth. Like he was not, <laughs> he was not going to win, no. basically. And, and he was pretty far back as well. Um, and we should probably rewind in a minute as well to talk about some of the other things that happened during the race because it was a fairly entertaining race for the whole way but he just comes absolutely flying down that home straight 
the with size form of his stride. That I've, <laughs> form that I've never seen on a distance runner before. And if you've watched the video or are currently watching the video, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I've like written, it's form like I've never seen on a distance I've runner. I've written huge stride in my notes here just because yeah. I've never seen. It is, you know when people sort of make, they make all these jokes, about, oh yeah, he's like a gazelle when he runs. <laughs> this is probably the most gazelleish form like I've actually seen. Like the distance between yeah, well, it's because, his it's legs because it and how looks... high in the air he is is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's pumping his knees up like a hundred meter runner. Like he is certainly more. His form is certainly closer to Bolt than Farah at this yeah. moment. If you're going to compare two people that most of our listeners probably know, um, but yeah, he just comes absolutely flying past and yeah, takes the win, wins the gold medal for America, which is obviously very significant for for the u.s they don't win a huge amount of long distance gold medals at the olympics but one thing that makes it really special is the commentary and you said something about this as well we had a good laugh just, about this before we uh, started recording yeah we did the commentator went mad and that's one of the things the commentator actually got pretty famous for this so if you haven't seen the clip go and watch it like i've already said that it's just an awesome race but the commentator the last kind of 100 meters or so they're just like oh and it's gamudi and the other guy and somebody's gonna win and then this other guy just chimes in and just goes look at me <laughs> like, the, the energy crazy. and he just says that about four times just screams look at mills look at mills and starts like cracking up to himself i'm getting animated just talking and thinking about it like oh man what a moment one of the best commentary snippets i've ever had yeah definitely 100 percent. and and it's good because like we said is it it's very uncharacteristic of when you watch these old races and when you watch this kind of footage from way back when is it's so rare that you find anyone that sounds like a modern commentator with all the drama and the shouting it's always a very exactly. professional job um, oh exactly you do you'd expect it just to be like and mills comes from behind to take the win in the olympic ten thousand meters but this guy is just going absolutely nuts and exactly. yeah no i i love it it's brilliant and one thing that's one thing that's certainly worth mentioning as well re- with regards to that is i think fairly recently maybe a couple of months ago or so that commentator actually sadly passed away so there's been a lot of death in this podcast so sorry for the downer especially in the current times but it's definitely worth mentioning to to honor his memory. I wish I'd looked up his name before this, um, but I haven't. Uh, maybe I will. If you get on a rant about something, uh, <laughs> I'll I'll make a note of it to to have a quick Google. Okay then. Well, shall we shall we move on and then we can find you can find the time because I've got plenty of things. I and we will be picking up with the second half of our best races of all time podcast very soon. So just wanted to jump in and close off this one and say thank you for listening as always. I also just wanted to say if you noticed any disturbance in there, if I've missed that out in the editing, please do put up with us. Uh, This is not normal circumstances for us recording, so naturally there's a few more parts that might mean that there's a bit of a drop in quality. I really, really emphasize the importance of the quality of the podcast from start to finish, but I hope that you will understand in these circumstances. So sorry if any of the crackles made it through. I hope it didn't adjust your listening experience too much. But again, thank you so much for listening to this first half of the best races of all time and join us on part two where we'll be recapping the next five best races of all time. Thank you.